Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hi, everyone. This is Richard Gunther. I'm talking to you right now from my home office. Now, that's not all that unusual for me, but we know it is new for many people, including my co-host, Adam. So in the event that you're spending more time at home now than usual, we thought we'd share some of our ideas about smart home projects you could get into. We could probably all use a distraction at this point, right? To round out the discussion, we'll share some of the things on our smart home project lists. So stay home if you can, stay healthy, and we hope you find some inspiration from these ideas. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. And on today's show, Richard and I are going to talk about automation ideas and projects you can undertake while spending a little extra time at home. Welcome, Richard. Yeah, hey, how is it going? Yeah, this is... Uh... This is probably a different time for a lot of people where they're spending time at home. It doesn't necessarily mean they have time, right? Because if your kids are home too, I might argue that you have less time than you might otherwise have. But these are crazy times. So my question to open the show for you is how has your life changed as we're all dealing with the coronavirus? Yeah, I would say it's changed a bit. We're doing our best to, here in Illinois, we have a shelter in place order in effect. So my wife and I are both working from home. We have all three kids home with us right now as well. We're lucky enough to have somebody that's coming in to help out with the kids. So, you know, very lucky in that respect. But just adapting to, you know, this whole working from home thing, and all of us working from home and, and having the kids here and all that too. So, you know, it's certainly a little bit different and getting used to it. But I would say for the most part, you know, I know a lot of people have it a lot worse than we do right now. And so feeling very grateful for our situation and where we're at. Trying to do our best to, you know, stay inside, not go out. You know, I feel like we have plenty of food, you know, the basics and stuff like that. I ran out of English muffins a few days ago. That would be my, you know, my biggest thing because I'm a, I'm a hardcore English muffin guy for breakfast. I'm like, eh, I, <laughs> I can live without this. So we're moving on. How about you, Richard? How are you getting by in these odd times? It, it is odd. For me, it's not really different from regular life because I work from home normally. So I'm used to being in all day and really only getting out to walk the dog. It is odd that I can't just like get in the car and go places. We're not on lockdown yet, but all non-essential businesses are closed. And even if we're not on lockdown, I think the responsible thing to do is to stay locked down. So uh, we are staying home. And in terms of just things that have been like different or not even really bad, I guess that the biggest difference is that I think we're intentionally, like we're handling our meals more intentionally than we normally would be. We did a lot of shopping a couple, like a, a week or two ago and have lots of supplies. I'm not worried at this point about being out of food. I, I hope I get to continue to say that, but we're being really intentional about cooking meals. Normally we would order stuff out. I'm a little bit freaked out about the idea of having food delivered that was prepared by someone else. So, you know, we're making breakfasts and lunch where we normally wouldn't be. And um, I'm just trying to stay as healthy and active as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I would say we have ordered out a little bit. I feel your apprehension there. I haven't been doing a ton of it, but 
trying to be somewhat normal there as well as support some local businesses. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely trying to be less wasteful too, you know, and I'm trying to get that across to my children who can sometimes be very wasteful and like, you know, drink your milk. Don't leave that. Don't take that if you're not going to eat it. You know, all that kind of stuff is like, it, it just puts it all in perspective of like, we got to be a lot more conscious about some of that kind of stuff because you can't just, I think that's one of the weird things is like you can't just we live whatever, like less than a half a mile from a grocery store. Normally, if you just needed to run over there, you just run over there and get whatever you need. And that's not exactly the situation. You know, when I went to Target last week, they had some, you know, they were picked over on some things. But, you know, for the most part, you could still get groceries and stuff like that. But so, yeah, that's kind of a weird situation to be in that things are not as plentiful or readily available as uh, we're used to. For example, I I wanted to buy toothbrush heads. I went on Amazon, as I would normally would, and no deliveries until April 21st. So, mm. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll look for those next time I go to Target. So some of that is starting to get a little bit odd, but... You know, if I had to use the same toothbrush head for the next month, so be it. Yep. Yep. I, I think we're hanging in okay compared to many. So anyway, if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, you can send us a question with the hashtag Ask Adam and Richard. Just post it to Twitter and we will find it out there. Before we get started, I wanted to just quickly make a correction to something that I noticed I said when I was listening back to our last episode. We were talking about how some of the digital assistants in some way acted as hubs and that you could pair devices and automate some devices directly off of those Echo and Nest products. But I kind of messed up what I said there. I actually said that the newer Google Nest and Nest Home devices supported Zigbee. And I meant that it was the Amazon Echo devices, the newer Amazon Echo devices support Zigbee. Google's newer devices actually support Bluetooth. So sorry if I confused anybody there. And if uh, anyone caught that, gold star. There you go. So I think for our main topic today, you know, Richard and I wanted to dig in, you know, I, I know for me, I'm trying to make the most of the time that we have with a little extra time at home and be productive around the house in, in various ways. And so naturally, given our uh, interests here, trying to think about some ways that we can be productive in, as far as home automation goes and some project ideas, some things you can do around the house, whether that's, you know, picking up some new stuff. Somebody was just telling me how great Best Buy is adopted to this kind of new world and they kind of have a whole drive up system. So if you can get stuff on Amazon, if you can do a, a Best Buy order in advance and pick it up. So there still are ways to get product if you if your project involves some new product. But if you're anything like me, you have uh, various things that have been laying around the house for months, if not longer. And so there's opportunities to do stuff with things you already have as well. So we wanted to talk through, you know, a few various areas and, you know, some ideas for you if you're if you're looking for new home automation projects to dig in on. Sounds good. So the first area, which I think is one that it's just kind of one of the natural areas for this and, and definitely an interest of both Richard and mine is lighting. You know, I think when it comes down to it, you know, lighting is one of the areas in automation that have taken off. And it's definitely one, you know, in my home where we use this stuff the most. And so I think there's a huge benefit where spending a little bit of time can add a huge improvement to your quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I wanted to kind of give as a first example here, something that's really practical for any of you who are now working from home, and maybe you didn't before. Lighting in your workspace is really important. Hopefully, if you set up either an ad hoc office or a new office of sorts somewhere in your home, you've 
manage to find appropriate lighting, whether it be a lamp or overhead lighting or under cabinet lighting or something that works well for you in your workspace. And one of the things that I did very early on when I set up my home office was to create a work scene that automatically set things up. When I went into the office, I tell my assistant to turn on work or to activate the work scene. And it sets all the lighting the way I would want it for when I'm working. It makes sure the blinds are open and potentially you could even set the temperature and stuff like that. But that allows me to just kind of get my day started real quickly. And you could do other things like add reminders to happen like maybe two or four hours after you start to take breaks or maybe even at the end of your day. There's a lot you could do to help you adjust to working from home. A big part of that being lighting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm recording today from my new temporary office, which is a extra bedroom we have slash my wife's sewing room. And uh, as you were saying that, I'm like, oh, man, the lighting in here is not great. So that's a project I need to undertake here. I think the next uh, good opportunity, and this is one we use a ton, is just a real well thought out good night scene. You can do this on any of the platforms, but just the idea here is, you know, last thing you do before you go to bed, something that shuts everything down, adjusts the thermostat, engages security if you have an alarm system. And another cool thing you can do here is also warn if, if something isn't closed or locked and, and get that real-time feedback. So for us, we have a, a scene through Amazon Assistant where we say goodnight to the dog, and that triggers a bunch of stuff to happen. <laughs> the The comical part about it is how often she mishears it or doesn't do it right. I don't know if I've talked about that on the show before, but yeah, our dog's name is Chewy, and so often I get a goodnight Julie um, back from oh, right. the Amazon assistant. Yes, so... Yeah, I think you did mention that. This has become more and more challenging as my system has diversified. When all I had around my home was Insteon lighting, then I pretty much only had a good night scene in Insteon. But then as I started adding hue lighting, then I'm like, oh, I should probably actually do this through my assistant and then continuing to add things around the home, thinking, okay, how do I incorporate them all to work with this? Luckily, most of the things that I have will work with one command to my Echo. But that's not always going to be the case for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Definitely something you want to think about in terms of where you're going to use this or what ecosystem. If you can find one that works with most everything in your house, then that's going to be helpful. We can talk about it more later, but I think routines in Amazon land is is kind of one of the go-tos for, for this type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the ability to have delays in there if you want to. So you could even have a good night scene that waits five or 10 minutes to turn off a hall light so that it gives everybody time to like get get to the bedroom, go to the bathroom, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, there's a lot that you can do there, and it it's uh, it's convenient, but it also kind of gives you a sense of uh, assuredness that you've taken care of everything before you go to bed. So something else that I think is really valuable is using motion activation for lighting, and I do this a lot in my home. I can drive into the garage, get out of my car, walk into the mudroom, walk into the kitchen, and it's not until I get out into the central hallway that some light hasn't just gone on automatically because I walked through that space. So I'm a big proponent of using motion activation for lights. And if you think about that scenario, particularly in areas where I don't know, maybe your hands might be full when you're walking through there. If you're bringing stuff in from the car or another example I have in my home is I have a motion sensor for my laundry room so that when I'm walking in there with a big thing of laundry, I don't have to be 
trying to struggle to get the switch with my elbow or something like that. Also really good for closets. And I, I already mentioned my mudroom. And, uh, you know, they're obviously more extravagant ways that you can do this. And then simple ways that you can do this. The simple way is obviously you can buy a motion sensing switch and they will meet the needs of most people. But you may find that where your switch is located isn't going to provide you with the best vantage point for that sensor. And in that case, you could always use separate sensors and switches. You'd need smart switches and a motion sensor that can work with those smart switches, either through one of your assistants or through some ecosystem like SmartThings or Insteon or Lutron. And then that motion sensor can trigger the lights wherever the lights happen to be. One thing that I want to point out there is that GE is releasing, actually already has, if I'm, yeah, I believe this is correct. They already have a C by GE hybrid smart switch that has a motion sensor built into it. This is, as far as I'm aware, one of the only products like this. I think this is a really smart idea to have a motion sensor and a smart switch all built in one. And by only products like this, I mean, you know, without being something significantly more extravagant, like uh, a switch with a screen on it and all kinds of other stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the concepts that somebody mentioned to me a while back that I really like that you could also do with this is changing what that motion does based on time of day. So a great example of this would be like a bathroom in the middle of the night. Well, when that light comes on with motion at two in the morning, you probably want 30% light instead of your normal 100%. So if you can really put some thought into some of these devices, that's where the advantages of an automated device can really shine over a traditional, just kind of dumb motion sensing light switch. Yep. 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 Absolutely. So this is one I've actually looked into this week, which is um, HVAC related devices. So, you know, what better time to put in a smart thermostat or in my case, dig into the settings on the one you already have. So, you know, whether this is Ecobee, Nest or other smart thermostats, we have an Ecobee in our house and I'm not super proud to say <laughs> I realized that both my Ecobees, we have two different zones. Um, we're stuck in a hold pattern. So as mm -hmm. far as any sort of automations or timings or schedules, none of that was firing. I was like, uh, I set a schedule and I was like, why, why isn't this working? And then I looked and I'm like, oh man, they're on hold. So when, you know, when that happens, when somebody turns up the temperature or whatever, and it's just stuck on holding, it ain't going to fire any of that stuff. So Right. And I think the other thing to remember, too, is like these guys are constantly adding new features, new settings, things like that. I mean, you could say this across all your home automation devices that it's always good to dig in and look at the settings and what's new, you know, every once in a while. Because when I put in those thermostats, the feature set of an Ecobee was very different than what they offer today. So it's good every once in a while to kind of dig in and make sure you're fully utilizing all the things that your devices can do. So in my case, you know, I wanted to make sure normally we would have some automations going that are, you know, upstairs of our house would get cold during the day. Well, now I'm working up here. So I want to make sure that those schedules are a handled a little bit differently. So now's a good time to look at that. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that because I have always struggled with the whole home away thing that most thermostats offer predominantly because of how, well, basically, you know, it's assuming that you don't need heat or air conditioning when you're not home. I work from home. I've, I've worked from home for the last 10 years. So it makes it really difficult to have an away mode that makes any substantial difference in my energy use. Yeah, no, and I'm sure that's something a lot of people have been dealing with in uh, changing some of their behaviors and working from home or, or things like that, too. So, 
Yeah, you might miss out on some of those energy savings, but you know, hopefully you can find some settings and things that still work and can provide you some savings. And I think one of the interesting ones that I looked at in Ecobee is they actually have an energy program for savings. I was going to look right here at what what that's called, but they can kind of you can kind of set how aggressive you want that to be. Yeah, it's called e- Eco Plus. Yeah, I think that's called give the control of your thermostat over to your energy provider. Well, that's that's one <laughs> of the options, but you can you can kind of say how interested you are in having savings, um, just in terms of how aggressively they're implementing automation. But yeah, one of those things was giving control to your energy supplier, which I don't actually have the option to do that. I've heard mixed stories of luck and and people having good case with that but you know certainly that that can be a thing as well as you're doing demand response with the energy provider and allowing them to control your thermostat a bit yep yep so i think next on our list is security obviously this is a huge area for home automation the first one on my list was video doorbells. If you uh, if you don't have a video doorbell already, I'm not sure what you're doing listening to our show. Uh, <laughs> you can you can just turn it off now. But hey, now I would assume a lot of people do, but you know maybe some of you don't. So we'll talk about it anyways. I I personally have a Ring Pro, pretty big fan of that. They also have a bunch of other models at, at different price points. So Yeah, they, the other thing to consider is that the Ring Pro requires that you have wiring at your door. So if you're in the situation where you don't have doorbell wiring and you still want a smart doorbell, there are options available, but it, it, you're not going to be able to use the Ring Pro. Right. One of those options also that I recently saw from uh, from someone else was the Nest Hello doorbell. I was super impressed with what's possible on the Nest Hello doorbell. It comes at a much higher price point. And I think why that is, is there's a pretty hefty hardware chipset in there that's doing some of the machine learning probably on the hardware. But he was showing me how you could even like do, it'll give you a notification when a package arrives as opposed to in Ringland where you just get motion alerts and things like that. So they're getting a lot more context and and interesting things as well as the other cool thing was being he could scrub through an entire day's worth of video pretty quickly and see different events and stuff. So I was pretty impressed with that and you know what what could be done there. So nice. If only that doorbell supported, you know, HomeKit and stuff like that, which he also showed me he was able to do through some other devices I think we're going to talk about later. So it is possible but for me already having a Ring Pro um it was it'd be hard to get me to change now. And I think there's some other cool offerings from um, companies like Arlo, August. I don't know, Richard, if you're familiar with any anything else out there. I think those are probably the biggest hitters. I know that the August doorbell, the, the first one was really chunky, kind of, you know, along the design ethos of the August lock itself. But they have a newer slimmed down version that was released, I believe, finally released at the end of last year. They had to pull it back when they had some initial problems with it, but then they did come out with it. I think it's a a nice form factor, and they are supposedly going to be coming out with different covers for it so that you can also style it to look more like your facade if you want it to. And I think that's important. That's one of the reasons why I like the Ring, is that Ring has had that option since the beginning. Yeah. Didn't you, you just got a new, you have a Ring Pro, right? I do have a Ring Pro. I replaced my first generation. And when I say first generation, I mean pretty much right when it came out, the original Ring doorbell, I purchased it. So it was the first rev of the hardware for the first generation Ring doorbell. I had been reviewing a unit from them. And I liked it so much that I ended up going and buying myself one. And I've used that ever since. And while it seems absurd to me that I would replace a $229 doorbell five years after installing the original, 
the Ring Pro is a really nice piece of equipment, and I wanted the new features that it offered. To me, that seemed worth it. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of the problems that comes with being an early adopter is sometimes you get in very early and the technology moves on without you. And so eventually you got to you gotta kind of get the next rev and, and bump up your spec a little bit. Otherwise, uh, the experience can lag. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, one of the things that I don't think we did talk about, I, I think a video doorbell is just incredibly practical right now. You probably don't want to be answering the door, right? So you still have the ability to talk to somebody who's at the door, find out who it is, maybe give them instructions to leave something or let them know if you're you know, receiving guests or not. Hopefully the answer is not from everybody, but regardless, this gives you a lot of flexibility and security beyond just having a camera on it. Yep, absolutely. So the next category I wanted to talk about was cameras. Um, this is obviously a huge and massive category, and we couldn't talk about all the different options here, but two that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, Ring has a bunch of different offerings there, and I didn't really have a need for it, but I've heard a lot of great things about their new, what is it, the stick-up cam. It's really nice and small and pretty compact. Do you have one of those, Richard? Again, I have the first generation, <laughs> but I have not felt compelled to replace it because it works just fine. Yeah. The one I wanted to talk about, which I do have, is Arlo Pro. So a couple years ago, saw a demo of these and was just completely blown away. I had no idea at the time that wireless HD video was a thing or was even technologically feasible or that the battery wouldn't run out in five minutes. And I've just been super impressed with these these devices. For us, we use these originally as like a makeshift baby monitor for my daughter. So we still have one in her room and one kind of floating around the house used as we need it. But I would even consider using these as outdoor cameras. I know they're indoor-outdoor compatible. The battery lasts like three or four months. And I know they have some pretty cool options for like a drip solar charger and various other things. So just really, really impressed with what's possible with these. Just adds a ton of flexibility. Obviously, if you want to do outdoor cameras... You know, before you needed to run POE or have an electrician come out. So having the flexibility to put a camera anywhere you want or, you know, any area that is, you know, feasible is is super nice to have. And even if you want something temporary, um, you know, that's the nice thing about these, too, is you can move them around. Yeah, that is a really nice feature. You know, before we leave the topic of cameras in general. I I kind of want to get back to Ring for a second and talk about their often maligned and quite controversial Neighbors app. <laughs> I, I suspect that Neighbors may end up getting a little bit more love over the coming weeks and not so much hate as people maybe kind of depend on reaching out to each other if and and knowing you know feeling secure in their neighborhoods i i have heard numerous stories from people who often compare neighbors to uh, uh what is it i want to say door but that's not the right word um next door next door next door and you know you end up with all these conversations degrading and and people posting absurd stuff about about things that maybe you know are, are racially biased or something because they come you know people come to the table with their own biases if they're concerned for their security and i think what we've seen over the last 2 weeks is that next door has become a place of communing with your neighborhood and i don't think anybody saw that quick turnaround i wouldn't say i've been staying tuned but yeah, I mean, I've certainly, I was going to say I I am on Neighbors because being a, a Ring user, 
there's been some good stuff, but also some like, you know, somebody in our neighborhood has coronavirus type stuff. I'm like, really? Do we need to know that on Ring Neighbors? So, yeah, hopefully people will find useful uses of it, not, you know, weird uses or, um, you know, ones that are not very friendly. But yeah. Right, right. So I think the next area here was a security system. So, you know, I think one of the concerns right now is obviously having people in your home to install things, maybe something you're not super interested in right now. So that makes some of these DIY offerings for security, you know, very interesting. So I personally eventually broke down and, and got a, a ring security system and have been super impressed with what they have to offer. Just a really great price point. I loved the idea of the flexibility about turning on and off monitoring. But the reality with their monitoring package was that it was so cheap to do as a year and it included some stuff for video retention that to me, it just made sense to leave it on all the time. So the other really interesting thing is they offer this conversion kit. Maybe you know a little bit more about this, Richard, where it allows you to kind of hook up to an existing alarm system that you have in your home. Yeah, I don't know how easy that would be to do as a DIY project. I think you'd probably need to be fairly comfortable working on, you know, hooking stuff up to an existing electronics board and not be worrying about either breaking your old system or somehow um, electrocuting yourself or something. It, it really, it's up to what your comfort level is, but they do offer that. And, you know, that's actually kind of similar to a system called, I believe it's called Connected with a K that's designed to do the same sort of thing, but for smart things. And if you think about it, many of these smart home ecosystems could be used as security system if they support cameras and they support sensors, and many of them do. And even ADT has an arrangement with SmartThings to work with some of their products. So that's another route to consider, either connecting an existing system that you already have in your home to one of these smart ecosystems, newer DIY systems, or maybe just using your DIY smart home system in some way as a security system. Yep. Yeah. And some of those other DIY offerings, I know Nest has one. And then the other one you mentioned here was Abode, which is a, a HomeKit compatible one as well. Yeah. And I'm actually in the process of testing the Abode IOTA, which is a standalone unit for, uh, I would say it's probably intended primarily for apartments like the canary and products like that and it's a, it's a pretty powerful system you can hook up all kinds of different sensors and cameras to it it is home kit compatible so that means that the alarm the cameras and their sensors the sensors that abode makes will all show up as devices in your home kit ecosystem so that's kind of a nice integration that no other home automation system or sorry, security system is offering. I know that we've seen that the Akara system, I believe that's from Xiaomi, that their system is HomeKit compatible and you could make it into a security system, but that's not what it is. It's a smart home system. But yeah, there are lots of options out there and uh, they're they're worth investigating. I think economically, the ring is probably the most economical. I think Abode probably comes in next after that. And Nest is really priced more traditionally, both their product, which I think runs about $400 just for a base kit, and then their monitoring service, which runs around that $40 mark instead of that crazy $10 that ring costs. Yep. The next one that can be a little bit more involved is doing a smart lock. I'm a huge fan of our smart lock. And I think as far as 
devices, it brings a lot of convenience to our life. But I will say installing a smart lock can be a little bit more involved and proceed cautiously. You either might need to use a locksmith or might get yourself into a situation where a locksmith needs to bail you out of whatever problem you created trying to install it. Yeah. So proceed cautiously with that one. In my case, I actually had to hire a carpenter. My problem that I ran into was whoever had um, installed my previous lock had not done put in a deep enough pocket for the bolt to go into. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I had to hire a carpenter because I would say one thing I'm pretty good at is knowing my limits and understanding when I'm in over my head and need to call a professional. And so in this case, when it came to sawing into my door or whatever was going to be involved there, I was like, I need to hire somebody to do this. So yeah, I think proceed cautiously there. There's the difference between you and me. I just got out the one and a half inch drill bit and I went for it. Good for you. (laughs) It didn't quite solve the problem. Yeah. I still had to have the locksmith (laughs) finalize it. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's important to know where the line is and when to stop. So, but yes, some good offerings here from Yale that are compatible with all the different options. I currently have a Schlage lock, which is HomeKit only. Or if you buy their adapter that we make, it can be compatible with Google or Amazon. They also now have a new Wi-Fi lock, but that is not HomeKit compatible. I believe it's Google and Amazon only, and it also works with Amazon Key if you want to be able to let Amazon people into your house. I don't know how you feel about that right now. And then August, I think, is always a good option that is not as intensive. And depending on what your situation is, if you're renting or maybe in an apartment, I think August can be a great option. It's not as you mentioned, it's, it can be a little bit large and uh, chunky, and it's a little bit of a weird solution. But depending on your situation, I think it can be a really nice option. Yeah, I would agree. And the the nice the nicest thing there is that you're continuing to use the existing hardware inside the door, and then on the exterior uh, side of the door, you're only replacing what's on the interior side of the door with the August mechanism. So we kind of mentioned this earlier, but I think one of the other opportunities is really digging into your current ecosystems, whatever you're using, whether that's Amazon, Apple, Google, smart things, you know, any, any ecosystem and just look for opportunities in improvements or things you can do with automation. So I think some good general areas is taking a look at your device naming. I ran into this the other day where in my bedroom, I have a lamp that's named Adam's Lamp. I also have a preset for my Moen shower that's called Adam. So I was intending to command the lamp and all of a sudden the shower came on. That's a naming problem. (laughs) So... Clearly, I need to name less things Adam and uh, and take care of that. So the other one I was thinking about as well is thinking about opportunities of places where you can add additional speakers in your home. For me, when the Amazon Flex was announced, I had bought a couple of these and I just had them laying around, as mentioned earlier, as things often do. And saw an opportunity where my my sons were spending more time in some different areas of the house where there were no speakers. We use the Amazon system a ton for announcements around the house and using the intercom functions. So while the Amazon Flex is not a great speaker, it was a great use case for being able to use the intercom when the boys were in those different areas. So it comes in at a really cheap price point, and we get more echo coverage throughout the house. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's actually one of my recommendations in general, is that if you have a lot of people at home now, or more people at home than might normally be home all the time, you may consider looking into announcements 
or the drop-in or calling feature that is available on your assistant because it makes it a whole lot easier than yelling from one end of the house to the other end of the house or constantly getting up. What? Huh? What did you say? So those are very, very useful. It can be used for good and evil. I imagine. So, you know, proceed cautiously. I was in trouble the other day because I made an announcement while my wife was trying to take a nap. So, you know, these things have uh, are double-edged swords. They are. Um, also teach people that they have the ability to ask their assistant to not disturb them. Yeah. So... You know, there are ways that we can work around this. And not everybody knows that, right? Like, not everybody knows that you can kind of temporarily silence your devices. Even even the Apple Watch has a do not disturb option for an hour. Basically, you're just going to nap for a little bit. Just say, nope, just don't disturb me for an hour. And, and you're good. Another thing that I think that people need to think about is just... Are there ways that you could, my bet, my bet is that most of the people who are listening to this right now probably have a spare smart outlet somewhere around their house that they bought, they tried it, or they're not using it, or they just never got around to it. And smart outlets can be so useful for things like fans or lamps or coffee makers. You know what? I know a company that makes smart outlets. Adam, I think your company makes smart outlets. We do. And they're still available on Amazon, shippable within, you know, normal Amazon speeds. Uh, normal Amazon speeds like a week now, isn't it? I think. I don't know. I looked the other day and I could still, I could get one of our devices within like two days. So. Mm, all right. Well, that's good to hear. Difference may vary <laughs> based on location. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my point being that I, I think these are an often overlooked, undervalued product that can add a whole lot of convenience to your home. If you think about a morning routine and the ability to have an outlet where you plug your coffee maker and now you have to have a dumb coffee maker, right? This can't be a digital coffee maker that has any sort of digital switch on it. It just needs to be like an on-off kind of coffee maker for that to work. But it's so nice to wake up to the smell of coffee brewing. I, I just love that. You don't have to go buy a new coffee maker to do that. So, yeah. And I think um, as far as Amazon goes, you've probably heard it from me here before, but just really leaning into the groups feature, I think there's a ton of usefulness that can come from here. And just a reminder about this, like if you group an echo with certain devices, you can then make more generic commands. So an echo grouped with a bunch of lights, you can then just say, turn off my lights. And instead of every light in your house going off all of a sudden, now it will only command those lights that are in the group with it. So there's a lot of smart stuff you can do just by placing devices in those groups. Yeah, that's still something that I've never been able to get to work in my home. Maybe I should add that to my projects list. Okay, there you go. Um, and then I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about scenes. And in Amazon land, I think routines are, are really the best way to do this. And the cool thing about routines in Amazon is you can do more than just automate things. And you can also give responses to know that your routine was completed successfully. And so I mentioned our, our dog one. That's how I know that that scene is done successfully. You know, the lady actually says goodnight to the dog. So, you know, you can get creative with it. You can do all kinds of things. You can add in news. You can add in the weather. So there's a whole host of options and a ton of stuff you can do here. Yeah. Obviously, HomeKit. You know, a lot you can do with scenes and automating here and a lot you can do with automations as well. So I think, you know, HomeKit is a particularly very capable system here and there's a lot you can do with it and it seems to work pretty reliably. So it's one that I've used for a lot of automations since I have a lot of devices that support both HomeKit and Amazon. 
Yeah, and we didn't talk about Google here, but there are similar capabilities in Google to create scenes or, or more accurately to create routines. The problem with routines in Google's ecosystem right now is that they're very limited. You can have a voice triggered routine, you can have a time triggered routine. They are in the process of rolling out routines that can be triggered by other events. And that's happening very slowly. You may or may not see that yet. Eventually, this year, we should see events from one device available as triggers to do something else in a routine. And I think that'll be very, very powerful. Good stuff. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, and then we'll return with more Smart Home Discussion. We just spent the last 40 minutes or so talking about different things that you could potentially do in your home. Now we're going to take a look at some of the things that Adam and I actually have planned, our to-do lists while we're home, projects that we hope that we can get into. So Adam, why don't you start us off with stuff that you're hoping to be working on? Yeah, as I mentioned, um, I often will have a number of devices waiting for me around the house. I have a bunch of this stuff where I bought it with an intention to do a thing or not, just haven't gotten around to it. So first one, my own stuff, uh, in-wall outlet units. Uh, I actually put a couple in-walls in a couple, couple months back and really enjoyed what the data I'm getting out of that as far as uh, usage data and, and cost data and just being able to put some some outlets and automations in place in certain areas. So I've got a couple other in-walls that I want to put in in my bedroom. I want to automate a floor lamp that we have an older smart plug-in that only works with HomeKit. So that'll open up some other ecosystems for that device. The other one, a little bit silly. If you know me, you know that I have a sneaker problem. And uh, I bought some cool shelving for some of my sneakers that has some LED light strips to it. And so I really want to hook that up to an automation system so I can turn those on and off um, using automations. <laughs> Another project I have is I wanted to do exactly what you were talking about earlier, which was do motion control motion sensor in my closet, kind of out of just wanting to play around a little bit with that cool Lutron um, button uh, for Hue lights. Um, I have one of those and, and a bunch of Hue bulbs to replace the traditional stuff in my closet. So I just thought that was one where I could take advantage of, of doing some motion sensing and throw a Lutron button in the mix as well. That's pretty cool. You could also do some stuff there where, depending on the time of day it is, maybe the lights come on very dim. Like if you're going into the closet at night, and then of course your button could potentially override that. That that motion sensor, I don't know if you've used the Hue motion sensor yet or not, but for what you pay for it, I think it's 40 bucks. That is a fantastic sensor. Yeah, I've heard good things, and um, we're not doing a lot with Hue in our house today, but I would say if this project is successful, I will probably go back and get some more bulbs and do laundry room and some other areas that you mentioned where, where motion sensors can be useful. Cool. The next one, so I think I've talked before, I'm a huge fan of Lutron Cassetta. Automating a light switch can be way more affordable than doing individual bulbs. A lot of my first floor, we've added Lutron Cassetta light switches. At one point I was like, I'm doing pretty good. I've automated, you know, whatever, six, seven lights. How many more light switches would I have to do to cover the entire first floor? I started counting light switches and I'm like, oh man, there are way too many light switches down here to do this. It's going to cost a fortune. <laughs> so... That being said, I'm just doing it little by little as it makes sense and kind of where there's the most value. At some point, you know, if they're on sale or something, I'll I'll bite the bullet and buy a bunch and um, just automate out, out that whole floor and, and call that one done. 
another area for Lutron Cassetta, like I said, thinking about those pain points can really open up some good opportunities for automation. And um, one of these, we actually have a, a space, our third floor attic is totally finished. And we've turned this into kind of a play area for the kids. I like it as a play area because I don't have to look at it and it can be a total mess and doesn't bug me. Something that does bug me is when the kids go up there and leave the lights on. So, you know, we're we're kind of roaming the house at night, checking on the kids. And of course, it's like the inevitable, my wife or I, okay, who turned off this light last? So I've said number of times that being a dad is running around the house, switching off lights that kids leave on. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're ready to go to bed, the last thing you want to do is climb a flight of stairs and turn off a light. So it would be nice to be able to add that to the good night routine and not have to worry about that. So I would say that's probably pretty high on the list. Probably more likely to just automate that one than actually train the kids to start turning that light switch off. Yeah. And if you want to have something that is also maybe motion triggered, again, that hue motion sensor, either through HomeKit or through your Echo devices with a routine, can be used to trigger that Lutron switch, either on or off, however you would want to do that. So that can be really powerful too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, using that Hue motion sensor for things outside of just Hue bulbs as well. So that's a good idea to be able to, to do that and put a timer once there's motion and also just have it automatically turn off. Um, the last one on my list I know some of the folks over at Nanoleaf, you know, I've mentioned this before. Some of my products in my house have grown through trades and things like that. So I traded them a while back, some some smart outlets for some Nanoleafs, which are very cool, but also very expensive. So I think I have like a nine panel kit. And of course, my sons who are 10 and 7 were then instantly fighting over it. And each of them wanted to put it in their room. Ultimately, we just built up kind of a gaming PC area in our basement, and so we've decided that the Nanoleaf would be cool over the gaming PC, and there's some cool stuff you could do with that. So Fun. So that area will probably be where those end up. Nice. How about you, Richard? What's on your list? Well, I have a lot of stuff. First off, you kind of referenced this earlier. I have been, let's say, trepidatious about... HomeBridge, the product that allows you to link non-HomeKit stuff into your HomeKit environment. I frankly don't understand A, why it works, B, why Apple allows it to work, and C, why any company would create hardware to run this thing. And there are companies that are doing this. They're they're like creating products that have HomeBridge built into it because it's all open source, and expect people to pay money for it when it's something that could be turned off at a whim if Apple decided to. But all that said, while it's functional, it offers kind of mind-blowing capabilities of finally getting all the stuff that is outside your HomeKit system working in your HomeKit system. And that's incredibly powerful. And it all works and looks native. So I set up the Ring and Nest integrations using an implementation of HomeBridge called Hoobs, H-O-O-B-S. I think it's called HomeBridge on HomeBridge something on a box system. I don't know. They actually make hardware, but they also have an image that you can just download and install on a Raspberry Pi. Yes, that means I played with a Raspberry Pi. I know that's also very unusual for me. Nonetheless, it's all really cool. And now I want to really dig deeper and find what other ecosystems in my home could I potentially integrate. I know there are plugins for the Bond Bridge and for Instion and for lots of other stuff. So I'm hoping to spend a little bit more time researching and playing with that a little bit more. Very cool. Now, I also spent some time recently adding a light bar, a light strip over or under our breakfast bar. 
that we have in the kitchen. And in doing that, like I did the whole thing. I bought channels and I bought a separate transformer so that I could have all of that stuff hidden in a box and everything so that, you know, it's a nice clean installation and you're not looking at wiring under the, under the counter. It, it were you to duck down and look. And when I did that, I it really made me think that, hmm, I could probably replace these halogen lights that are under our cabinets with something a little bit more practical. So I am currently testing a couple of different light strips to see which ones I'm going to be happy with. Unfortunately, the bad news is I think the ones I really like are the Philips Hue light strips, which are, you know, $80 instead of like the $40 ones from Sengled. So <laughs> that may be a more expensive project than I want it to be. But I'm hoping to get that done as well. I talked about that problem where maybe your motion sensor switch isn't in the right place. And you should think about just using smart switches and a, a separate motion sensor. I have that problem. I have a mudroom where the motion sensor works great if I'm walking in one door not as well if I'm working in the other door and all too well if I happen to walk by yet a third entrance. And so that's just not giving me what I want in that space. So I've already installed an Insteon motion sensor in the corner of the room that has visibility for all of those entries, but not outside of them. So that should solve my problem. Now I just need to replace the switch that's in there, the motion sensor switch with a smart light switch, which I intend to do. And this is where I'll put in my regular disclaimer that I do have a contract relationship with Insteon. Not necessarily advocating for Insteon right now. I'm just telling you what I'm doing in my home. Everybody knows you're you're a fan of Insteon anyways. I'm a total fan of Insteon. Yes. So it's warmer now. And it's probably going to be getting warmer. And as we get into spring, I am hoping to finally install the ring transformer that they sent me to test. Ugh, I hate to admit this last year and I never got it installed because it means installing some outdoor lighting. What this does is it allows you to use an existing lighting system and turn it into a smart lighting system. What I want to do is I want to create a whole new area with outdoor lighting and use the ring transformer with it so that it's separate from what I already have in place. Cause I already made my outdoor lighting smart. So I'm hoping to get that up and running and uh, to test that. I'm also hoping to put out more motion sensing lights, more ring motion sensing lights around my home. I installed one where I used to have just a static, light that I could turn on or off. And I really like the ring security lights. They're insanely bright. They cover an enormous area and they're very sensitive. And I like that it can be tied in to ring and now also with my home kit stuff. Plus one on that. <laughs> plus one on that recommendation. Uh, I'm also a fan. And I also like the fact that if the light's on and you know, for no reason or whatever, and you want to turn it off, you can do it from your phone. So it can be nice and convenient. Sometimes ours shines on our TV. So I have to go in there and turn that off. It's nice that you have that control. I, I think that's a really nice feature. I'm very happy with those products. Another project that I want to try is to run a common wire to some areas where I want to be able to add a a smart thermostat, and I don't already have the common wire. I think I've mentioned in the past that I have a radiator system that has two wires and two wires only. Now, the good news is that while it only uses two wires, the previous owners had the foresight to actually run full, I think it's seven wire cable to the different endpoints. So I really just need to get a transformer installed in the basement and connect it to one of the wires that can then be used as a common wire. That's just something I haven't been able to get around to, and I'm hoping to do that soon. 
that's a lot less complicated than actually having to run wire. And I was in a similar situation when I put in my Ecobee that it needed a wire and there was already a spare wire there. So it wasn't a huge deal to be able to hook that up to a system that, you know, since the wire was already run. And it's my understanding that that way of wiring, like wiring with seven wire or whatever it is, is just kind of common practice so that it allows for flexibility and you don't have to go digging into walls if you change your system later down the line. Yeah. So now the remainder of my projects are kind of uncommon. One is that I want to troubleshoot some problems that I'm having. I'm experiencing problems with my Hue lights. You know, I think it was just on our HomeKit show that we did two episodes ago with the the folks from the other podcasts. And one of the guys was saying, I just, I want stuff to stop showing up as unreachable. And that is my problem with many of the Hue devices that I have, even though they're only like 25 feet apart outside. So I don't understand what is going on with those, and I need to spend some time troubleshooting those. Then I, I too have Hue issues right now. Yeah, I think everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for whatever, I think there's a problem. I just need to probably reboot my Hue bridge because I can only command the light, the Hue lights in my son's room using HomeKit. So I'm guessing there's something where it's not talking to the internet right now. And if I reboot the bridge, it'll be okay. Hmm. Yeah, that is a weird one. Definitely a weird one. Now, my, my final two things are a little bit offbeat and probably not what you intended, but I think they qualify. The first is that I want to spend time finishing something that I started and didn't get very far on about two years ago and document what all is in my house. And I mean, identify every connected product what system it belongs to, if it's a part of different scenes or routines. Because if I ever had to rebuild this because I'm swapping something out or whatever, I, I don't know where I would start. And I'd like to have some record of what all is in place now so that I have a baseline. Yeah, I've seen other people's maps of their homes and what they have. Somebody sent me theirs, and I was super impressed by this. It never occurred to me to document all this stuff, but just using some basic like mind mapping tools, I think, can be pretty powerful to show you know what all you have and where. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I haven't really researched the best way to do this. Mind mapping tools are a clever solution to that. I had simply started a Google Sheet and I probably need to do something a little bit better than that. My normal way of doing stuff like this would be to create a database with a bunch of tables. And then, you know, I basically just trip over myself trying to get this done. So we'll see where I end up with on that one. And then finally... Yep. Don't make it too complicated. Exactly. Exactly. I know I have a bunch of old devices around the house, stuff that I'm probably never going to use anymore, stuff that other people could be using. And I'm going to try to take some time to round this stuff up. Maybe, I don't know, get it out of my basement slash archives and prep it to sell on eBay. Now, I'm not going to sell it right now on eBay because I don't think people want to buy stuff on eBay right now. I could be wrong. But I want to get it ready so that I just can pile through it one night and get it all up there. And it, if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it's out of here. Makes sense. So we hope that we have, I don't know, been a little bit of an inspiration for you, giving you uh, some ideas that you can potentially take and act on yourself or riff on and uh, do some stuff in your homes. And if you do, we'd kind of love to hear about it. If you have problems, you could ask us questions about it. And, oh, you know what? We don't have a question this week, but we would if you have a question for us about what you're doing after you hear this. Yeah. So, you know, if if come up with a question, you can send it our way using the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow. 
will respond or you'll hear it on a uh, future show. But yeah, I think that's a good point as well. In these weird times, some of us have specialties and expertise where we can help other people out. I think that's what you know. some of this is all about and being helpful to people. So if Richard and I can advise you in any way and be helpful to you, certainly reach out on Twitter and we'll try to provide some support if we can, if, if there's any way we can help. We should probably put our disclaimer here that we're not certified in any of this stuff. <laughs> yes, our, our support only goes so far, but <laughs> happy to help if I can. If I can help you in 240 characters or less, I'm there. There you go. So, Richard, if people do want to find you and uh, ask you some questions or, or get some help or advice from you, where can they find you? They can find me at Richard Gunther on Twitter. And you can find what I'm writing about in the smart home space or what I'm doing on my other show, Home On, at thedigitalmediazone.com. How about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice. And you can find everything that my company is up to at connectsense.com. And of course, the smart home show is a part of technology.fm, a collection of tech focused podcasts, including Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, and Richard's other show, Home On. And uh, you can find our show notes and details about every episode at smarthome.fm. And you can find us in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and everywhere else you find podcasts. And we would really appreciate it if you take a couple of minutes and leave us a rating or review or uh, just tell a friend about the show. Hope everybody stays happy and healthy during this weird time. Thanks for listening to the show. See you later. 